Boys and girls, moms and dads, it's time for the Greg Reaney Show. I'm your host, Greg Reaney. We've got another uh, spectacular segment of people you know or should know here on the Greg Reaney Show. I'm really blown away, excited about this next uh, this next episode. Didn't know if it would be possible, uh, but you know I am a Marine, and we don't usually uh, be fearful of taking chances. And I'm super happy I did because. We landed a Chicago unbelievable superstar of my youth, and uh, that so many of you are going to recognize and uh, and definitely appreciate hearing from. Uh, you may know that this show is all about people you know or should know. This one you definitely know, and uh, but this is going to give you the backstories, folks. This is going to be the the the, the little nuggets of wonderfulness uh that uh, you may not uh have heard so um i hope that you enjoy the show and um, we're gonna have a lot of fun and let's um just go ahead and give this a little play here Roll in the last 25 years, and WLS has been here for all of it. WLS Radio Music uh, 89, AM and FM stations. You remember that growing up, folks, because that's all we listened to. Uh, there was one other channel, WFLD, Big Rivals, but uh, we always ended up on WLS. All the great uh, musical uh, jocks that were on there that just kept us entertained and connected with the music of that time. And uh, it was always, it was on my, uh, my green GTO 70 green gto and it was uh when i got out of the marines before i went in the marines all the thing it was always wls uh except the steve doll time because uh, i was a disco boy and he was beating up on us <laughs> at that time but uh, now steve is great Stephen gary show is amazing but my guest today folks he's got a brand new book out um you can get it on amazon it's called i grew up listening to you and there's stories behind the scenes and behind the music uh, by the great Tommy Edwards. Little Tommy, as Larry Lujek <laughs> used to call him. How are you, buddy? Hi, Greg. I'm doing well, thanks. Where are you at right now? Living in Southern California. I retired. I retired from radio in uh, 2014 mm -hmm. and, uh, and continued to work for the Chicago Bulls. I was the public address announcer for 25 seasons in total uh, and then retired from uh, the NBA uh, in November of 2019. Just and my, yeah, my kids and my grandkids are all out in Southern California. 
And nice. so that my wife and I decided that's where we want to be. So we, uh, we had a place out here and we just sold our place back in Illinois and, and moved out here permanently now. That is awesome. I lived out in Canoga Park in Woodland Hills uh, for yeah, a short time. Yeah, same area. Oh, in yeah, San Fernando? Awesome. Yeah, in uh, Woodland Hills, yeah. Yeah, that's that was the best time of my life. I lived there for like two and a half years and uh, unbelievably great times. Went to school with uh, Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, yeah. And uh, was able to participate in the Happy Birthday America which was the bicentennial uh, 200th birthday of our um, great country and uh, did a big thing at the L.A. Coliseum with Disney and uh, there was Sandy Duncan, Artie Johnson, the Miracles, uh, all kinds of, it was a great experience that blew my mind. It was like 70,000 people there uh, during filming. So great area. I'm, I'm, I, the only problem was when I lived there, I remembered you needed like political connections just to get a McDonald's job. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you mention that because, um, first of all, in the Warner Center of uh, Woodland Hills, uh, at one time was the backlot for all Warner Brothers westerns. Yeah. So, so many movies were filmed right here. And now it's all built up, it's very urban right now. But um, in my book, I talk about a, a fella who was in our wedding. Uh, back in uh, Virginia when I was uh, stationed in the Pentagon. And um, he eventually came out here to California and became a political consultant. And that's exactly what he did when uh, when we moved out here. Um, we got together with him, and I found I kind of caught up with all the stuff that he's been doing. And he was a uh, political consultant that was hired by different companies if they wanted that franchise or if they wanted that zoning really he would be the one that would actually uh do whatever had to be done to, oh, to wow. get the zoning approved or all that stuff so it's it's fascinating uh, but uh, yeah you know, it's, it's a great area no interest in, yeah it really is i enjoy it a lot but we lived right off of valley circle drive and uh all the mountains were back there and people uh somebody told me um that that has been there forever they said uh yeah you see all those hills over those are all owned by bob hope yeah he owned all stuff and after his death it was uh in probate for a long long time and i understand that we were looking at a piece of land back there at one point when i was out here working on a radio thing here and uh we found out that we would have to wait until all that probate stuff was uh uh, adjudicated and so uh, you know and it just never did it just never was i mean it's just a, a huge piece of property yeah huge. but uh, a lot of times bob hope uh, didn't if he did get uh, money for any of the things that he did he would invest it in property and if people wanted to give him property instead of cash he he welcomed that so really he had an enormous amount of property out here but yeah I, anyway. i'll never forget it because he's he goes i go where over there he goes no everywhere all Everywhere. that, yeah. you know, yeah. beyond Valley Circle Drive, there was the place called, we used to climb at Castle Peak, and uh, now there's homes, all of that stuff, but all that was just there, and then beyond that was just valleys and hills, and then he said, all of that, all that you can see is, is owned by Bob Hope. I'm like, wow. But um, let's get back to you and uh, my wonderful times uh, growing up listening to you, like so many of my friends and stuff like that, and Chicagoans. 
Um, how did it get started with, you mentioned that you, when you were at the Pentagon, did, were, did, were you in the service? Yeah, I grew up in Kansas. I uh, grew up in Topeka, Kansas, and went to uh, college there in Topeka at Washburn University. And during the Vietnam War, when uh, the draft was uh, very, very active, uh, my little brother had joined the Navy and was in crash crew. He had gone to firefighting school in Philadelphia, and he was stationed at the Tuxent River, Maryland, at um, the Naval Air Station there, crash crew. And so uh, it appeared that um, the draft was taking so many people, and I, there was a certain amount of obligation that I felt, too. Uh, mentioning Bob Hope used a moment ago. I uh, remember watching some of those Bob Hope Christmas oh, specials where he'd be out entertaining the troops. The best. And this would be something that was very instrumental in me deciding, you know what I need to do? I need to, I need to volunteer and I need to uh, go into the service and do my part. So I went in and went to a Navy recruiter. And um, originally they said, boy, you have all the qualifications of being an air controlman uh, working in a um, – control tower either at uh, an aircraft carrier or at a naval air station mm-hmm. because I had started radio when I was 16 years old there in Topeka. And uh, so eventually I went into uh, the Navy and instead of going into air controlmen, they uh, sent me to a school in Norfolk to learn how to handle highly classified material. And once I finished that schooling, they sent me to the Pentagon and that's where I was for the duration of my tour. Wow. Great duty. Great, great duty. So I talk about a lot of I talk a lot about that stuff in the book. I talk about some interesting things that happened during that time where I was able to witness some history, like when the USS Liberty was attacked by the Israelis during the 67 war, mm-hmm. when the USS Pueblo was captured by the North Koreans, and it was on an assignment from our, our office to monitor um, North Korean telephone communications. And uh, and different things that were underway for communications abilities to um, to contact submarines at the bottom of the ocean and satellites and all that stuff. So, you know, it was really an exciting time to be there. But I also worked at a radio station at night in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and eventually uh, started working in New York City. I was uh, the program director in New York. I listened to an air check, which means it's a brief tape of uh, your performance on the radio and he uh, called me to fly up uh, to New York and I did and found he offered me a job to work two shifts on the weekends uh, and made more money than working six days a week on the air down in Washington (laughs) DC and I did everything in uniform because I would fly up in a Navy uniform and fly up there real cheap and check into a hotel real cheap and and all that, and then do the shifts, and then come back down to the Virginia to be back in the Pentagon by Monday morning. So yeah, I cover all that in the book, and I, I talk about some of the incredible things that I witnessed um, uh, while serving there. That's uh, um, yeah, I definitely ordered uh, the book, and uh, I, I can't. I'm not a book person. I hate to read. I'm kind of like the type that you know, I, and I'm kind of jealous because my my daughter loves reading uh, Tiffany. And she, um, she's like, oh, my God, it's such a great thing. And, yeah, the movie's good, but the book is so much better. I, I always been, but I can't. I, I read it, and it's like, this book is dedicated to, I'm like, <sighs> you know, it just puts me to sleep. But I really well, wanted to get your book because it's connecting to my youth, which is the best time of my life. 
And I well, I think I appreciate that, and I also have heard from a number of radio veterans. I mean, I've got so many friends that have been in the industry for for just uh, decades, and uh, they they told me. And one of the highest compliments I've got is it says it brings back so many memories of things that have happened to them in their career. Really? Some of the ups, some of the downs, some of the wild and crazy things that you would never that's, uh, that's... would never happen, you know, but they did happen. Yep. And um, I was not only on the air for um, the, the great majority of my career, but I was also behind the scenes and created a lot of things that people um, are still using in radio and still using in the NBA, for example. At the, you know, they're still using it now. Stuff that I came up uh, came up with. Yeah, let so, me uh, uh, you know. speaking. Of, let me let me just play a little clip for them real quick um, because uh, it addresses exactly what you're saying. And I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting, and didn't realize it. But uh, we'll talk about it after I go ahead and play this clip. Chicago. So it gives, just gives me the bumps. I, I'm not a basketball person, but I just and you you were the one that suggested that song, right? Well, yeah, it, it all goes back to Michael Jordan. Um, when Michael was drafted by the Bulls, uh, and during training camp, uh, it was coming out. But some of the people that were there, and the assistant coaches, and some of the staff members who had witnessed what was going on in camp. They said, this kid is incredible. Uh, he can do everything. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that uh, we really had somebody special. Uh, when uh, Michael came on, we decided, let's see, they, they called me and they said, um, Michael is going to be on the starting lineup and, and we'd like to have you uh, introduce him last. But we need something really special. Can you come up with something different? What I had done before was... Um, when I started with the Bulls, all the music was being played uh, by a girl on a portable organ, <laughs> Nancy Faust, who was the White Sox uh, organist. Right. And then the Bulls called me in and asked me to come up with a plan to play current music. And so I designed a thing that they paid for, and I was able to play actual current and oldies during basketball games, which now it's, you know, everybody does this. But we were the first to do it, and 
it's so I was using uh, Thriller and I was using some Jan Hammer Miami Vice theme mm-hmm. uh, for the starting lineup before, but they said we need something special. So I, I kept racking my brain thinking I want to come up with something really spectacular. Mm-hmm. Then one night, uh, my wife and I went to a movie at the Biograph Theater. And we were sitting there and some ambient music was playing in the background while people were coming in. And all of a sudden I heard it. I heard Cirrus by the Alan Parsons Project. And mm-hmm. I know I said, I leaned over to her and I said, I know this song. And she said, what is it? And I told her, I said, it's Cirrus, Alan Parsons, the prelude to Eye in the Sky. And she says, what about it? And I said, this could be the new Bulls intro. So the next day I went out and bought it and took it home and practiced it over and over again. And then... Um, I went to. I called the Bulls and I said, "I think I found the song." And they said, "Okay, bring it to the next game." So I brought it and played it. And he, Michael Jordan, loved it. The staff loved it. The coaches loved it. The fans got into it. And so Cirrus is now being used all the time in Chicago, but it's also being used in Golden State, and it's also being used in college games, in, in elementary school games, all kinds of things. And the man in the middle was yeah, an idea sure. that my daughter came up with. I, I used it once in an introduction of the person in the center position. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, in the middle or the man in the middle. And she said, Dad, I really like it when you say the man in the middle. So I said, okay. So I did that. <laughs> I, I just made that a part of the regular <laughs> thing. And now if you go to NBA games all over the country, they refer to their center position as the man in the middle. Oh my God. That is, that is, that is so cool. I mean, that is, as a father of a daughter myself, I mean, that is really Awesome, and that's got to make her just giggle and feel so special. That's awesome, and and I tell you, you hit it right on the nail because that I, that's going to be the bull song, intro song forever. I mean, it's just like so perfect, so wonderful, and um, the because um, you were you when didn't now did you start like in in uh, music radio or news radio? I started out in Topeka, Kansas in the news department. Okay. And I, uh, yeah, I was in high school at the time. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, the overnight DJ, uh, called in sick once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, uh, program director said, okay, I need somebody to do tonight's overnight show. And I said, I'll do it. And he said, you're in high school. I said, I know. He said, well, you've got class tomorrow. I said, I know. And they said, but your parents won't uh, allow it. And I said, my parents will allow it. And I went over a know, <laughs> they, they know how badly I want this. Yeah. And so I called my mom and dad and they said, okay, well, you got to take care of yourself. My mom made, you know, made some coffee and a thermos and a, you know, some, I don't know, some sweet rolls or something. I never touched it. I mean, I was so nervous when I was on the air, but I did it. And I did an overnight show and the program director heard it. And he, from then on, he gave me a weekend show. And so I was doing news during the week and a weekend show on the radio, this jockey type thing. And then eventually it was all DJ stuff. And just think if you didn't push like that, you might've never went down that path, even though that was your intent you know, you getting in, and because once you did what you said you really wanted, and he and he and you were lucky enough that they gave you that opportunity to show that you can do it, that probably made you solid as not just somebody that can do it, but special because you were the kid that started when you know doing this before people normally start that you know with their age, so. That's uh, that's incredible. So, 
the, the, when you went to LWLS, which was an AM station, because when you started, it was just AM, or did they have both at that time? I had, yeah, it was both. It was both, but it was unlike what you have today. You had, uh, you know, you have AM FM stations here, and sometimes they simulcast. And in, mm-hmm. in other words, it's the same programming on both uh, frequencies. Right. But back then, it was totally different. The radios were even separate. You had an AM radio and you might have an FM radio. You didn't have a radio that picked up both AM and FM. So that, and that's how, uh, you know, that's how uh, archaic this was back then. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I talk about in the book is how I created a thing called Stereo House that (laughs) that ran on a Sunday night where I would have people put their AM radio on one side of the room and their FM radio on their uh, other side of the room and then arranged to have stereo needles on the big turntable in the FM studio. And then we'd play stereo music uh, where the one channel would go through AM and the other channel would go through FM. But people in their homes oh would then God. hear stereo music. And this was back before FM stereo. This was back before AM stereo. I mean, this was way back in the early days of AM and that FM. That is so cool. But I, I describe how I do it in the book and all the stuff I had to go through to make sure I didn't get feedback, to make sure that everything was in sync, and uh, how I and I think that the people who really enjoy reading about that are the radio people who know the, the what that incredible takes. things I had to go through right. just to do that. But nowadays, you know, FM is all stereo. And it, the AM is even stereo too, and you've got the sub channels on AM now, and so it's it's so different than what it was back in the early '60s. Now, was was uh, AM, WLS AM back then? Uh, was that music when you when you came aboard? Yeah, yeah. They, I listened to them when I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunday nights, I would get off the air after Stereo House, and I would get in the car, and a lot of stations would be off the air on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, WLS was not off the air. They changed the from country laws. station. <laughs> yeah, they changed from um, being a uh, bar, the uh, national barn dance uh, country music. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1960, they went to pop music, top 40 music. The first song they ever played was Alley Oop by the Hollywood Argyles. And this was back in the days of uh, some of the legendary DJs that worked at WLS. But I would listen to them driving home. And thinking, God, I, you know, there's no way I'll ever get to WLS. <laughs> you did it, you know, I will be, I'll be really lucky to get to Kansas City one of these days. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> you did it. You made your dream came true, come true. And uh, you know, my, my show, I'm a stage performer, and uh, it's my passion. And everybody says, Yeah, that's nice, Greg, but uh, when are you going to get a real job? And I, I didn't give up. I mean, that's I've never worked uh, because they always say if you find something you really love and do it and get paid for it, you'll never work a day in your life. And it is so true. Uh, it is true. And uh, you know, it's 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 great to um, to to make it to your dream and and uh, to achieve those things. It just, it's just unbelievable. But um, so. So you get on on board with, and did you start as program director and then went into uh, on air uh, jock or or where are we talking about? Where where are you talking about? Uh, when you came aboard with WLS? Oh WLS. Okay, I was um, 
before that, I was in New York City. Okay. Uh, after, as I, as I mentioned to you, now we're, uh, we're, while I was, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're because we're, we're going to have listeners from that area, and they may remember you from there. What what uh, d- station? W W O R F M W O R. And now this, I will tell you. I'll tell you about it. When I when I I told you a little bit earlier that I was working on the weekends in New York. And right. That's where I was working. W O R F M. This was a radio station that was really one of the first. Um, rock and roll radio stations on FM. This also was a radio station that introduced playing a lot of oldies, and that's made it different. And we were going up against a giant AM station, WABC. So um, I would, once I got out of the Navy, I got out of the Navy on October 31st, 1969, and went full-time on WORFM mm-hmm. November 3rd, the following Monday. And then I was noon to three, and I was there for two and a half, two and a half years or three years, something like that. And about that time, I decided I wanted to go into the programming part. I wanted to be a program director. And so I put the word out to a number of people. That's what I wanted to do. And I got hired. I got a phone call from WLS asking to fly into Chicago, and I did. And eventually, my wife and I uh, moved to Chicago, and I was assistant program director at WLS. Until uh, one day, about a year after I got there, when the program director left, and I was named program director of WLS. So that uh, I was able to achieve that part of my career very quickly, and it was an amazing time. And I was able to come up with some new and interesting things on the radio. And um, so, so what, hired, what was hired, your for people that don't know what what do uh, program directors typically do? Well, they're in charge of everything. Everything goes out over the air. Mm-hmm. They're in charge of that. Uh, so, one of the things I wanted to do was to hire some new people because we had a large turnover around that time. Mm-hmm. So I hired names like Bob Surratt and Steve King and uh, Yvonne Daniels and uh, Jim Kerr and a number of different legendary names. But I was able to hire them, and all of them I, that came from FM. See, back in those days, it was AM versus FM, and FM was making inroads in New York City, and that's one of the reasons why ABC wanted to get me out of town. So when I went left New York, I went to a work at an ABC station in Chicago, WLS. Yeah. And so then what it was was we were trying to fend off the FM band. And so when I was program director, I decided one of the best ways of doing that is to hire the best talent off FM, FM. And so when people wanted to hear that great talent, they had to turn over to AM, and that's what happened. So uh, the Bob Surratt's and the Steve Kings and the Yvonne Daniels and all of those people were no longer on FM, and uh, it really hurt FM, what we call FM penetration, which means the number of people who were listening on a regular basis to FM. Sure. Chicago was one of the last markets, major markets in the country, where FM was not the superior um broadcast facility nowadays you look at radio ratings and usually the top four or five stations are all fm stations sure but now back in those days we wanted to keep it am stations and so it was a major battle between wls and wcfl uh, which was owned by the chicago federation of labor but they were playing the same basic songs we were yeah but so i i knew that i had to have better talent on the air yeah, that's uh, those are the two that I listen to all the time. That's uh, CFL and uh, CFL kind of went disco more than you guys did when that whole started, didn't it? Didn't 
Well, I, they were already, I think they were already changed to beautiful music, and now they're a sports station. I mean, that whole frequency has been gone through so many changes since those days. Wow. But uh, in 19, uh, yeah, in by the time uh, the whole disco thing happened, uh, we were playing the pop songs of the day, and the pop songs included country songs, disco songs, rock and roll songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever was popular. Sure. And so the anti-disco thing that came out at that time uh, co- was caused by some DJs. I think it was Steve, Steve Dahl, oh, who was, was on the FM It station. was definitely Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. <laughs> right. And it was, they were, they were, Steve was uh, on the FM station there at WLS. I think it was called WDAI. Uh-huh. And he was fired because they were taking it from a talk type format to a disco format so he had this um he had this negative feeling toward disco so he went over to another fm station and said i want uh, to blow up all the disco records i want to you know disco so i mean he had a personal vendetta that he wanted to uh, fulfill and that's how that got to be such a big deal but it all started when he got fired from the station because they were Going away from talk radio to disco radio. Like, well, I did not know that. See, folks, that's what I'm talking about. You never, these are little things. I mean, I could never understand why Steve Dow was so anti-disco. In fact, I was at a club on North Avenue in, uh, I think it was Elmhurst at that uh, at that particular juncture. It's North Avenue in 83. And it was a, call, a club called Bojangles that we used to always go to when we were dancing. This is right after the Marine Corps, and uh, we used to go there to dance and, you know, socialize. Across the street was a more of a rock place and then eventually became a um, uh, comedy place. And Steve Dow was there one night, and I thought we were going to go across North Avenue and have it out because this was right after he blew up all the records at uh, Sox Park. And uh, the disco records, but uh, that's what. The, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that yeah? That it got to be. Pre- it got to be pretty nasty. It got to be pretty nasty. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of uh, people who were um, literally getting beaten up coming out of yeah. uh, clubs, and it, it just was not the thing. You know, I'd like, if you don't mind, I'd like to put a plug in for the book. I mean, I've mentioned my book several times here. And yeah, absolutely. if there is anyone out there that uh, might be interested in learning some of these crazy things that uh, my career was all about i've got a link at tommy edwards bio.com tommy edwards bio.com and it takes you right to uh, the page on amazon and also, either a digital download or the paperback for yeah for kindle or paperback and uh it, there'll also be a link right below so you can uh, click right on there and that's tommy edwards bio.com and it'll take you right to amazon and and you can order it i'm waiting on mine and uh, i can't wait now even even though i'm not a a uh person that likes to read i uh, i just love history and, and and those little nuggets like i call them um it's it's really great now you know let's talk a little bit about you and and uh the great Larry Lujak. Um, you guys were just so great together. You were like two peas in a pod. Yeah, we uh, we really connected uh, after a period of time. I, I'm I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'd much prefer to have your folks uh, sure. read the the whole introduction. But when I first met Larry Lujak, I didn't care for him at all. Um, he wouldn't shake my hand. 
And uh, I always thought, boy, you're being so petty. You'll you'll see why when you read the book. And it wasn't until he had left WLS and went over to WCFL, mm-hmm. and I was the program director of WLS, and so I was competing against him. And we had we came up with some ideas that eventually knocked WCFL out of the format. They no longer played the same songs and the same music and the same type of format that we did at WLS. They changed to what they call beautiful music, which is like soft uh, symphony type it's music. Like WLAT radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, it's really background music. Sure. We knocked them out of the format, and there was a lot of uh, animosity between the two stations. But the fact is, the reason why FM penetration in Chicago was so late was because you had two giant AM 50,000-watt radio stations battling against each other. So we were coming up with ideas. WCFL was coming up with ideas. We were doing things that just almost forced everybody to listen to both stations or one of the two anyway. And when CFL left the format, then all of a sudden FM penetration started to happen in Chicago. Hmm. And uh, we, we fought it off as long as we could. But now WLS is is a talk station that uh, is not rated in the top 10 or the top 15 anymore. So it just, it, it was, it was something that was a golden time back then. And we, you know, we just made the best of it. We just give you a couple of uh, nuggets here. Uh, the stories about me having to meet with a member of the mafia to uh, come up with a radio promotion. We've got uh, stories about me trying to read a newscast when, two topless girls were dancing in the other studio <laughs> and I'm trying to keep trying to keep reading this newscast. We talk about some of the practical jokes that have happened when um, somebody in the news department at WLS called the Chicago bears to get their reaction on their first round draft pick. And little did they know they were actually talking to me using a character voice in another <laughs> studio. Um, we, we talked about, uh, uh, it, it gets to be so many crazy things that people don't know that was going on behind the mic that I think they might get a big kick out of. Yeah, I, I can't wait. That's that's awesome. Here, folks, I'm going to play a little something for you guys to jar those memories. Yeah, when I was early saying, and I and I had a uh, Biden moment, um, can you say that? Um, but uh, music is memories, folks. I always say that at my show. People are like, why don't you do something original? I'm like, it doesn't mean nothing to anybody. I said, the songs I sing bring you back like a time machine. And uh, I can't wait to get your book because I'm sure it's going to be just like the Steve Dahl story. I just never knew what got him so upset about disco, but now I know. And uh, But I'm going to play a little something for you guys that it's going to definitely hit those memory buttons. So check this out. We're the Animal Stories news team anchormen, famous hit recording artists. Here's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Larry. And there's him in person, little snot-nosed Tommy. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Hi Uncle Larry. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Story about a police dog. Read it the way it's written here in the paper. 
says ignoring the smell of roasted cashews, <laughs> almonds, pecans, and peanuts, a police tracking dog went straight to a burglar hiding in a nut factory early <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> says here he uh, sniffed out the uh, burglar, found him behind the roasting machine. This uh, dog's name was Danny. He's the Kent County Sheriff's uh, tracking dog. Oh. says police were called by a burglar alarm to the Nut Bar Company, Incorporated. Dog was turned loose and was apparently not bothered by the odor of roasted nuts and went, <laughs> went straight to the uh, burglar's hiding place. One of the nut bar employees said it was really amazing that a uh, dog could pick up the scent because there is a distinct smell uh, in the factory because of the cooking. <clears throat> but that would be a good job. I think after it's all over for me in showbiz, I'd like to get a job in a place like that or... The Keebler Cookie Company. Oh, yeah. Mr. Donut. (laughs) (laughs) Or wherever it is they make (laughs) M&Ms. Or (laughs) Ho-Ho's. Oh, my God. That is hysterical. (laughs) You remember that? Yeah, that was just... Oh, God, yeah, I remember them. Uh, There there were so many of them, and there was the, the you know and anybody in show business will say that when you have a routine that works it's because of chemistry oh and yeah the fact of the matter is i started to tell you the story about how i didn't care for him at all mm-hmm. when i first met him uh i would listen to him even when he was on the competition and enjoy his work his talent his work and then eventually we got him back to uh, wls mm-hmm. after wcfl changed the format and my, uh, I was on the air uh, right after Larry. And so it would be a normal practice for me to go into the studio about a half hour, 40 minutes before my show and start working on preparing for the oldies that I was going to play on my show. Mm-hmm. And I would sit down at a turret to his left. And uh, it was eventually, and we did so many live commercials back then. I mean, there were so many live commercials and many of them on his show were for True Value Hardware Stores. So he would do uh, live commercials about um, faucets or, you know, toilet plungers or something like that. And he'd look over at me and I would ask something silly or stupid and he'd start laughing. I'd start laughing. And the boss came in at one point and said, you guys have got to stop doing this because True Value Hardware Stores is going to get real upset. So we said something on the air about it. We said, well, you know, then he'd bring up something about a toilet plunger and I'd say, Oh, we can't talk about this. And he said, oh, that's right, that's right. That boss told us that True Value is not going to like it if we make fun of their commercials. Well, then the manager of True Value Hardware Stores in all of Chicagoland called and said, stop telling these guys to, you know, quit making them uh, stop making fun of our commercials. We love it when they make fun of our commercials. Hell yeah. Make sure that, you know, and so they said, okay, fine. They backed off. Because we were selling their products. Exactly. And, you know, people were laughing about what we were talking about. They weren't but dismissing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that, it was that that caused Larry to come up with the idea of the animal stories. Oh, my God. And one day when I walked into the studio, he said, look, I've got a couple of stories about animals here. I'm going to say, uh, gather the Moppets around the radios, moms and dad. It's time for Uncle Larry's 
animal stories with his little friend, little Tommy. I said, yeah, call me, uh, call me little snot nose Tommy. He said, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> and so all that happened like 30 seconds before we went on the air. And, and then he came up with what we call the howls and growls, which is the sound effects right. you know, that you heard. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's how we uh, started animal stories. And animal stories was so popular that we did a, uh, films about it. We did TV commercials about it. We put out three albums. I had put out five CDs of these animal stories. And, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, it, where, it, where did, it, you, where did you guys find the stories? I mean, where did you find a story we, about a dog uh, finding a criminal in a building with nuts? Well, I think he mentioned that it, he saw something. Uh, I'll read how the story. See, what would happen is he would look through newspapers and then he would tell people out there. And as you know, WLS, con- you know, had a signal that would just blanket the Midwest, especially before the sun came up. Right. But, you know, so the farmers and small town people would listen to WLS oh. and they would see a funny story in their local paper and, and they'd sure. clip it out and they'd send it to Larry oh, awesome. and they would say, can I be the animal stories news team correspondent in <laughs> Emporia, Kansas, you know, and so we'd make a big deal about that. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. And so we would find all of these funny stories about animals, farm animals. And, and all of that, and then uh, he had his own way of delivering sure. the, the substance of the story, which was so funny to me. It would always break me up the way he oh, you you know, would read it. And, oh God! And millions others. Yeah, that's yeah. those are those are. I mean, animal stories are so synonymous with uh, with me with those things. With yeah, I remember um, uh, Ray Rayner and. Uh, um, you know, he had the uh, Ark in the Far Art. What was it? The Ark in the Park with the yeah on WGN TV. WGN TV. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff yeah. is just there was all stuff that just great moments of growing up and whatnot. And that's Animal Stories is definitely definitely a great gig. I mean, I just loved when those came on. Um, the um, so you left um, you left the station. Was WLS your last station that you worked at, radio-wise? No, no. Uh-uh. Uh, I worked at WLS until 19, November 1985, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted, I just wanted something new at that point. I was getting restless. And so I flew into New York, and I met with uh, WCBS-FM. Uh, a good friend of mine was running it, and uh, Nancy Widman was the president of CBS radio back in those days. And I admired her a great deal. And so I met with them, but we just couldn't work out a good deal. And so I got a telephone call from a manager of a oldie station in Chicago saying that his morning DJ was, had taken ill and he was in the hospital for a while. So why don't I get off my butt and get up early in the morning and come play some fun oldies until he's ready to come back to work. And I said, yeah, I can do that. That's, that's kind of fun. You know, no, no commitment. Mm-hmm. So I did. And uh, unfortunately, the guy's name was Joel Sebastian, one of the legendary <gasps> Chicago DJs. And Joel passed away while he was in the hospital, which just broke our hearts. And yeah, I just I felt that. terrible about it at that point. But the manager came to me and said, okay, now the show's yours full time. And I went, I don't think so. He said, what do you mean? I said, I didn't take it, take this job to be a full time. This was just temporary. Right. I'm not sure I wanted to do it. 
And eventually I wound up programming a radio station uh, here, uh, back there in Chicago. And uh, it, uh, it was one of the stations that played more adult contemporary music. So I did that for a long time. Uh, it was called Q101, WKQS. Yeah. And so okay. I programmed Q, Q101 with Robert Murphy in the morning oh, and, uh, yeah. and, you know, Beth Kay and Pete Stacker and right. Pat Pinkowski and all that. And so that was fun for a while. And then uh, that oldie station called me up and said, we want you to come back and do the morning show here and made an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went back on the air full time uh, at Magic 104, uh, WJMK. And little did I know that I would work at that radio station three times in my career, all from different people, but the same call letters. God, I haven't I haven't heard WJMK or Murphy in the Morning and uh, Q101. I t- totally fell out of my memory bank until you just mentioned it. It was like I listened to both of those a lot as well, like WLS. I mean, WLS, you know, that that was probably the one I listened to the most, and WCFL yeah. was second. But um, oh wow, you just hit those memory buttons big time. Um, yeah, the. Um, what about the other guys you worked with in at WLS with, uh, uh, you know, we're doing a, a segment with, um, I think next week we're going to do an episode with uh, your former colleague, Mr. Chuck Britton. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, who's, yeah. Who's now down here in Florida with me. I listen to him every morning with Breakfast with Britton and uh, Seaview 104.9. He's also on iHeartRadio. Uh, you can uh-huh. tune in. So uh, he was with you over there, and you, like you said, Bob Surratt and uh, Landecker, and uh, who else was? Who else am I forgetting? Well, let's see. We did. Yeah, it was uh, the shift. Well, they, I, we had first of all the the first woman to be on a full time radio station, major market, major market full time radio station was Yvonne Danielson. I had mm-hmm. hired her from WSDM. Uh, which was an FM station, and I put Yvonne on from midnight to 6 a.m., and I, I told her, her, I yeah. said, you can be heard from coast to coast on WLS and even over in Europe and Scandinavia, parts of Mexico and South America. Really? That's how powerful, yeah, that's how powerful the signal was for <sighs> WLS. If you'll recall, we did commercials for Grand Spalding Dodge back in those days. Right. And we would they would meet many live commercials in some um recorded commercials, uh-huh. but we heard from Grand Spalding that some people actually from South in South Mexico or Central America would actually fly into Chicago and buy a Dodge and drive it back home. <laughs> and it, we thought, are you kidding? And they'd say no. And then we'd get in the mail, we'd get uh, letters from uh, some girls over in uh, Scandinavia and Sweden, Finland, asking if, uh, if they came over, could they get a job at WLS? <laughs> so they were actually asking for an employment uh, application I to come to WLS. I did so, not I mean, realize that, that reach was so far. That was oh, just, yeah. that's just was the just AM amazing. station, though, right? That was the AM station only, yeah, because it's just the science about it. And right. what I tried to do in the book, I don't spend a heck of a lot of time, but the AM signal uh, a tower out in the field has a lot of copper wiring underground and the signal is coming off every part of that tower, including the cable underground. 
and it's coming and it follows the uh, curvature of the Earth. And what it does is goes out and bounces off the ionosphere and bounces back down. Uh, so that's why people a long way away, especially at night, can hear radio stations from faraway cities. So Whereas FM and television is just a small antenna sitting on top of the big stick. And right. it goes out line of sight and does not uh, follow. It does not bounce off the ionosphere. Ah, it just keeps okay. going out into space. So that's why they're. It's not as efficient as AM radio. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's that's a that is amazing. That is so cool. I um, I'm going to tell Chuck though. These <laughs> they got to add a couple of watts to their station and stuff because it covers almost like uh southern part of fort myers and then the sarasota the southern part and when you leave that area you start getting the fade out and everything else and it's like oh just just a couple more yeah, watts. he's on, he's on a he's on an am station no it's fm oh it's fm okay because yeah, normally yeah because normally an, an am station if it has to protect another radio station right. at the same frequency, it has a what they call a pattern it has to follow. Oh, and but FM usually is the higher you can get, the lower your power. Uh, if your if your antenna is not as high as it, what others are, then you can actually use more power in your signal. But if the higher you go up, you know the highest building or the highest tower, or whatever, you have to reduce your power a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that gives you clear reception the higher you can get elevation well being that we're being so technical let me ask you another question that i think a lot of people have in their minds let's talk about commercials i remember chuck woolery this is for television of course chuck woolery used to have the dating game that he used to do um and he used to sit there on the couch with his legs crossed, and he used to say, we're going to be back, and he put up his two fingers like a peace sign and spin them around and say, we'll be back in two and two, two minutes, two seconds. Now commercials on television are like um, four minutes, uh, five minutes in between segments. I mean, the amount of content that they have has been diminished so much by commercials and uh I mean, they, they to the point where they have to say, coming up after the commercial, we're going to do this. And they come back from the commercial and they say, and while you were gone in the commercial, we did that. And it's like, okay, now you just took up even more time that you're going to put content in there. And I find the same thing happening with radio. Has radio also got into that pattern where it's, it's much more? Because, you know, Chuck, the problem when I listen to Chuck is there's so much commercials that he doesn't, I don't, I don't know how you guys did animal stories on air and stuff because he never has any opportunity to, to just BS, so to speak, or play. Yeah. Well, it, there's there's a reason for all this, and I'll try to describe it as simply as possible. Back when I first started in radio, you had, when, when I say you, when I'm talking about a owner of a radio station, mm -hmm. when a radio station wanted to get a license to go on the air, you have to have a license from the Federal Communications Commission. FCC, Back right. then, you had to tell them that you were going to provide X number hours of public service announcements. Mm -hmm. You had to tell them you were going to provide X number hours of news and important information. Mm -hmm. You told them about what you were going to do as far as entertainment is concerned. And you had all of these obligations to fulfill your license. 
Over a period of time, and because of the whole um, the whole conglomeration of radio companies, you only had like one owner per station. And if one owner owned an AM/FM, okay, that's fine. If one owner tried to own a second or third station in the city, they couldn't get it because it was very, very important that radio be local ownership with a lot of diversity. Really? And then after a period of time, one owner could own multiple stations in a market. Mm-hmm. And that's when radio went downhill uh-huh. because no longer was there any creativity. Well, just imagine if you owned five radio stations in a market, and that can happen, by the way. Some mm-hmm. people, some major markets, stations own up to seven, maybe, you know. Wow. Anyway, you'd, what, you don't, what you don't do is you don't let each station operate independently because you don't want one station to interfere with another one of your station's ratings. You want to make sure that they stay away from your programming so you have five different, totally different areas of programming appealing to different demographics in the market. And so you do whatever you do and see that you don't really have the obligation anymore for a number of public service announcements. You don't have the same obligation for public affairs and news programming. You can do pretty much anything. And because of that, they can just continue to add commercial inventory because these major companies like iHeartMedia, like Intercom, and like all these other giant radio owners, they're there to make money. They're sure. there to do whatever it takes to make money and keep expenses low. Right. And so it just doesn't um, make it a fertile ground for creativity, in my position, in my opinion. Yeah. It just doesn't do it anymore. Yeah, it's really getting to the point where it's going to help because I watch some. I watch way too much TV, and I and. Uh, and uh, I just, it's getting to a point where it's going to be very easy for me to say, okay, that's enough of that. I'm going to go do something useful in my life, in my time. Um, well, that's why I think, I think uh, commercial television now is in big trouble with streaming because mm-hmm. eventually when you think about it, even with streaming, you still have to see some commercials like uh, Peacock Network, which is new from NBC, right. Universal. Uh, you're watching programs, you still have to put up with like a one-minute commercial or a 30-second commercial. There are certain things that you just can't get away from actually seeing commercials. That's what they've got to do to make money. But, of course, they subscribe. And so you have to subscribe to a uh, streaming service. So that's why uh, that's the one way they can make money. But, see, it's coming in on an Internet channel. It's not coming over broadcast television. Right. So they are not held uh it's to same the same levels. standards yeah. as broadcast so. sure and your your uh, your kids are in uh television right yeah i uh, when i was out here uh, after i left chicago i went to boston and, and built a radio station there we came number one and so cbs sent me out to uh, la to do the same thing and i did it out here anyway my kids went through school out here uh, my oldest daughter is an associate producer at the wheel of fortune television show very cool uh, my youngest daughter is a works at the price is right uh, on cbs sure okay. she she's the one that uh, got all of the uh, items up for bid if you know what i mean sure and uh, my son uh, works for evolution media who does the real housewives of orange county the real housewives of beverly hills botched 
and several other oh, reality oh, love, shows. So, my wife and I watch Botch all the time. I love uh, <laughs> so, I love those doctors. Yeah. So anyway, he works for that uh, uh, reality television uh, uh, company. For the, so for those all, shallow moments. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they they they're all you know God you know God bless them. They 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 work hard. They that do awesome. a great job. And my youngest daughter is married to a guy who does. Um, uh, he does a lot of uh, special effects you see on television commercials, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, yeah, when I lived out so, in L.A., uh, I th- I think my mom was the only one who didn't work somehow, some way for the motion picture, television, you know, music uh, industry because everybody I went to school with, I was the token. Gentile, they used to call me because everybody was Jewish in my area, and they also, um, it's like, what, what, who does your mom work for? I'm like, uh, no one, you know, because my buddy uh, Adam, his his father was uh, a gaff um, key grip. I'm sorry, and uh, he did SWAT and all kinds of different shows that we got to go on location with, and oh yeah, every everybody got- was in the industry. Yeah, you've got so many people who are not, uh, you know, like we have a neighbor who does uh, prop work, works mm-hmm. props on movies and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's just so, the entertainment capital of the world is uh, Hollywood. Sure. And Hollywood is just one small part of Los Angeles, but mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood is Los Angeles. It's uh, this entire giant city. They're yeah. doing things everywhere here, so... So many so occupations where, in there. Yeah. yeah, that's that's great that your kids are in. My daughter's an actress in Chicago, and I'm like, honey, you gotta you gotta go either to Second City or you gotta get your butt out to L.A. Or you know, I hate to see a move, but I'm down in Florida now anyway. But um, you know, you're not going to make it in Chicago as an actress uh, like you like you possibly can because she really is very good. I'm very proud of her. But that, and that's her passion. And I, I originally she used to go. I'm going to be a marine biologist. And then one day she had to dissect frogs in school, and that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made a good animal story. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, yeah. Well, listen. I want to wish you the best of luck, and um, I hope uh, hope you have tons of listeners, and I hope they uh, find uh, I hope they find a reason to order the book. But I think they also have a, a chance to. Uh, Stay tuned for that interview with Chuck Britton because he is a guy who has been in the industry uh, for a lifetime, and he knows so many things, so many people, and can probably give you a terrific uh, number of funny stories of things that have happened in his career. Well, you have been an amazingly, unbelievably great guest. I am so honored. I am so touched and uh, grateful that you agreed to do this. Um it means the world to me, and I, I really appreciate. It. And I hope that uh, I hope a lot of people uh, like me go out there and get your your book and read this because I can just tell that there is this tons of very interesting information in there. And again, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, Tommy Edwards Bio dot com sold on Amazon either Kindle or the soft uh, cover, and um, pick your. Pick one up today and order it. And get it in that mailbox and uh, or download it on your Kindle. And uh, Tommy, God bless you. Uh, wish you the very best and thank you for giving so many of us out there so many great moments in uh, in uh, music and news and everything else that you've contributed. Bulls and and for those fans, absolutely appreciate you more than we can ever say. 
Oh, thank you, Greg. Thank you, and best of luck. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, we are uh, going to be back with um, Mr. Chuck Britton coming up the next episode. Uh, we're going to be recording that for you. And uh, if you if you enjoyed what uh, you've been hearing with the Greg Reaney Show, please make sure that you caress that like button, that subscribe button, and please also comment uh, on the shows because I really would love for you guys to be a co-producer and let me kind of know the, the direction you guys most want me to go. Um, it's a, a passion of mine, and I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate my guests always, and uh, we're going to hopefully see you soon. But right now, this is Greg Reaney. Have a beautiful day or night, and uh, we'll see you soon. Greg Reaney, ciao for now.